save manifest. Hey everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Flying Sage podcast. My name is Michael, and I'll be your host for today. In this episode, we are going to be speaking with Tim Seiku. Tim Seiku is an entrepreneur at heart who bootstrapped, scaled, and exited his first software company by the age of 28, and now focuses his time mentoring founders, angel investing, and mission-aligned startups, co-hosting transformational medicine retreats as the COO and co-founder at OneHeart, advising software products for psychedelic education as head of product at Third Wave. He has also co-created Housewear by The Flying Sage, a medicine-inspired clothing line intended to remind us of the magic that is all around us in our everyday life. It was a great opportunity and a lot of fun to speak with Tim for this episode. So I'm beyond excited to be sharing this with you. I hope that you find the conversation illuminating. We definitely covered quite a few different topics in the psychedelic space dove deep into some of Tim's own personal experiences, his inspirations, and some of the other really exciting projects that he's working on. So I feel super grateful to be partnered with Tim for Houseware, which you'll learn more about. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Tim Seiku. All right, beautiful. Thank you, Tim, so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you here on the Flying Stage podcast, and I can't wait to start the conversation with you today. How are things going? Yeah, man, looking forward to it. Thanks for the invitation. Um, so far, so great. I just uh, got back to Costa Rica where I live now for the past few days and just kind of prepping for um, a retreat coming up very soon. We can talk a little bit more later. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but so far, so good to, to be in Costa Rica. Amazing. The first question I had for you today is what drives you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning each day? Mm. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing that um, really has me come up every morning is two things. One is um, the fact that I've found and understood and remembered um, my greater purpose, my aligned purpose, um, which is really around supporting the elevation of human consciousness through plant medicine. Um, And that takes in different forms. We can talk a little bit about later as well. Uh, so having that aligned purpose makes going to sleep early, very easy to fully rest up and to then uh, be excited to wake up every morning um, to, to c- c- contribute. I, I would say to contribute, not to even like conquer it or, or own it, but just to contribute. So that's been really beautiful. And then I'd say the second thing that really gets me up in the morning, and this has been just profound um, wisdom that's been dropped through my ceremonies has been how... Um, the magic uh, around us um, every day is to be lived and to be welcomed. Um, one of my teachers says that, you know, re- repeat, I live in a miracle every morning. Um, and then another teacher asks and, and suggests to um, ask the question, what would you want God to experience through you today or through me today as, as, a, as a question to pose um, uh, in the mornings? And so when, when, when I do that, or when we are able to do that, I think it starts to really invite um, a lot of the magic that is all around us, um, which makes waking up very much worth uh, living for. That's beautiful. What would you like God to experience through you? I'm curious, like, 
if that's been a part of your practice recently, like are the answers that come through similar each day? Do you find that there's a big range of things? Can you yeah, share a little bit about what that's like for you? There's probably, if I look back, there's probably like chunks of themes. So mm. maybe every few days or every weeks or so, um, there's a specific focus. And I think that's just a be- beautiful reflection of life that's meant to be lived. Um, maybe there isn't just one direction, maybe in the flow and surrender of things, um, kind of it takes you to another direction. So um, for example, uh, past few months, it was a lot of just asking God for support as well as what to live through me, the, the, the emotion and feeling of resilience. Uh, I've been going through a pretty transitional uh, journey in my own personal life. So calling in and then cultivating and then like choosing to ask God to live through me through resilience uh, has been a major, major theme. I would say um, now currently uh, what's coming up for me and what's most alive in my heart is um, transformation, but in a, in a metamorphical uh, perspective. So metamorphosis is probably a better word. Uh, just kind of realizing and feeling this uh, breaking out of cocoon and really starting to flap my wings um, as a reborn kind of butterfly. That's brilliant. I wanted to ask you, so you mentioned your, your purpose these days, a lot of it revolves around the elevation of consciousness and, you know, using plant medicines as a tool for this. I'm curious if you could maybe take our listeners back in time a little bit to maybe your first encounters with psychedelics and maybe what drew you to them in the first place. Yeah. So quick background, like I probably was the last of my friends to try alcohol (laughs) and never smoked weed until my mid or later twenties and um, just never touched substances and grew up in a very conservative uh, home and family. Um, And what was really fascinating was my friend who I trusted a lot kind of asked me, this was Coachella of 2014, if I wanted to try LSD for the first time. And that was my first uh, entryway gateway into psychedelics. Uh, Not to go into too much of the detail, but what really came up during that was a feeling of doors opening up in my mind to to like rooms I never knew was there or was aware that was there. Um, so it just expanded my self-awareness, which was super intriguing for me. I started looking at under the carpet around fear as my first psychedelic LSD experience. Um, but with that curiosity, it led me into, um, a lot of exploration, intentional exploration in the, uh, parks and, 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 and mountains and forests outside of San Francisco, where I lived for about, I lived there for seven years, but I started exploring it for about two, three years, very intentionally. With that opened my meditation practice, uh, which then introduced me to my first ayahuasca experience. That was about four years ago. And just to speak a little bit about that, that ceremony, that first um, ayahuasca ceremony was, I would say, 100x (laughs) potent than, than my first LSD or any LSD experience I had gone prior. And that I felt like was such a uh, an opening of next level, deeper level of psychedelic uh, work for me. And uh, what I took away from that ceremony and journey was what I can understand today and just putting into words um, an experience, my first experience of pure ego death. Um, and so what I mean by that was 20, 30 minutes into the experience, I forgot my name. I literally could not recite my name. I 
didn't know what my name was. And I was asking myself, what is my name? And that's when I started freaking out because I didn't even know. And then secondly, I forgot and was curious and asking myself if I was even breathing. And so as I've just worked with the medicine for now, after that, for about five years, four or five years now, it's been just understood by me that that was my, my initiation um, into ego death, through ego death, into, into this work with so much more humility and so much more reverence. Wow. What a story. And you said 2014 in Coachella with LSD for the first time. I'm curious, at what point in your journey there, so you mentioned the LSD journey and then you mentioned ayahuasca. At what point did you come into contact with like the more sacred, I guess, or ceremonial use of these psychedelics? Like, I take it when you were doing it at Coachella, maybe you weren't aware of um, the, you know, the ceremonial use. And But at the same time, I'm curious, like, the, you know, I find that a lot of the time recreational use kind of blends with therapeutic. And I'm, I'm sure it sounds like your LSD experience was, was very therapeutic. So yeah, I'm curious right. if you could just give us a little lowdown on like, at what point did you maybe become aware of the ceremonial use? And was that ayahuasca experience your first um, dabble in that? Yeah, it was my first um, ayahuasca ceremony that okay. introduced me to the concept of ceremony and how the ceremony container just allowed me at least uh, to really go inward. So there was no mm -hmm. external stimulation like a Coachella 2014 yeah. would have, right? Uh, so there was so much more opportunity to go inwards and just right. closing my eyes and astral traveling inside mm -hmm. myself and brewing up memories, brewing up um, conversations with other beings outside of myself. So I just thought that that was such a beautiful understanding of how potent ceremony could be. That being said, recreational as well as um, outside of ceremony is something I still do as well. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing I, 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 I could offer to, to, the, to the listeners here is, um, you know, when before you, if you're, when you're outside and, and do, uh, taking some medicine recreationally, treat it as a medicine. So let's put our hands over it. Let's put a little intention. You don't have to, you can go as far as a prayer, but as, as little as just an intention and just connect with that and then let it kind of guide you through the word or the intention that you, that you seek. I just think uh, when we can all do that, it just opens up so many beautiful perspectives, especially the one I mentioned in the beginning, which is to be able to start to see the magic all around us. Because when we start putting out the words through an intention and we take in the, the medicine and then we go on a journey, we go on an on experience, um, I think that's where the, the, the brain clicks at like, oh, there is magic. And now we're just more aware and still and listening. That's great advice. I wanted to backtrack now a little bit and slightly change topics. I was curious if you could share a little bit about your business journey getting to where you are right now. So we'll get into some of the projects that you're currently working on, but um, I'm curious if you could share maybe like the question that came up for me was what was the hardest part about your journey building Tint? Yeah, so some background information. Um, I finished uh, my undergrad in college in business. And part of my class project semester project was to come up with a business idea and take it as far as I could in that semester. I decided to extend it for another seven years and run that company and really bootstrapped it to around 40 people and, um, and you know, some good, good meaningful revenue that we were, that we were putting out. And so, um, you know, what I've learned from that experience, um, couple things. Number one, the ego works. And so what I mean, what I mean by that is like, I ran that company completely out of ego from a place of wanting to prove myself worth, uh, to gain my mother's approval, um, to be liked, et cetera, et cetera. That's very clear for me. 
And so the Eagle Works, it, it, it drove me to, to, to create that business so well. And at the same time, it only works to a certain point. The Eagle Works to a certain point. Um, I started burning out and that burnout led me to my second point, which is really understanding that this company that I started was uh, a misalignment for me, a misalignment. And so I really understood and felt what that meant for me. Um, and yeah, I think the last thing I'll mention is that, you know, that business taught me that I was meant to um, uh, undergo all of that, even as much pain or misalignment there was, but it was really to learn as much as I could in that crazy setting. And that crazy setting being that I was a first time entrepreneur um, and just figuring it out as we went. There was no textbook that I was reading. There was no mentor that I had. It was just go learn as, as we went, as, as I went along. And so that just built a hell of a lot of resilience as well as skill sets that now is now all be put, being put into this space, the psychedelic space, the plant medicine space, the ceremony space um, with deep reverence and deep humility. And so that third point of just like everything is in divine timing, even as painful as it is in that eye of the hurricane that we're in, it's meant to prep me at least for something greater, which has been super and immensely applicable on, on what I'm working on now. So that was, those are some of the key takeaways I'd say for, for the business. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, I, I'd say the emphasis on point number one, which is just the ego works up to a certain point. And mm -hmm. I think the, the, one of the most challenging questions for any entrepreneur to ask uh, outside of the, the, the matrix stuff is, you know, is this company and what I'm creating coming from a place of ego, which is proving something or trying to seek recognition or anything like that? Or is it coming from a place of heart, true love and true care and true, even dare I say, surrender to, to what may, may, may emerge from this journey, but it is so worth it. And that's, that's, that's the question I asked a lot in my ceremonies post uh, my first ayahuasca ceremony. And that's why I'm on the path that I'm on now and, you know, working on the businesses that I'm working on now um, with that understanding um, because I understood what misalignment felt like. And so now I can bask in the presence of, of what alignment does feel like. Amazing. I'm curious, do you have any advice for entrepreneurs on how to achieve that balance with one's personal life? I feel like when you're building a business from a place of ego, I, I can assume that that's probably something that goes out the window to some extent. And I'm I, I take it that that was your experience too. Like when you're bootstrapping a business like you did, I I, I take it you're, you know, 110% of all your energy is being, is, yeah. is driving into that. So I'm curious, like to some extent, I guess that must be necessary, but at the same time, you're kind of speaking to this new paradigm of business emerging and just like the whole idea of, of leading with your heart. So I'm curious, like, do you have any advice for entrepreneurs on how to achieve that balance? Yeah. So I think that my, my, message isn't you got to balance it and you got to do this and you got to do that my message is more around like are you aware what path you want to take at this moment in your life mm. you want to go the hustle life and grind life by all means go for it yeah like if that's what resonates with you and lights your heart up go for it and there's potential consequences not saying that it's going to be the case for everybody but there's potential consequences that that may lead to burnout at which time in this part of your next part of your life is that where you focus on healing and, and resting but then do you realize that that might just be a cycle that you're going through right so it's like when you start to understand that and when i when i start to see it that way i start to really choose how i want to quote balance my life 
Um, and that may mean some days I'm grinding and then some days I'm completely off. Or that may mean that I, I keep my afternoons empty because I want creative session there uh, with my with my instruments and, and singing that I'm, I'm cultivating right now. Mm. So I think it's the, 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 the message that I'm trying to put across is like, are you aware what path you want to take? Or are you aware that you want to take the grind and hustle life right now? Because that's what you You just have so much energy and you just want to you know, pour yourself out there. And that's beautiful. Or is it that you need to take some rest and, and, and you need to take some time away from this because you are just burnt out? Um, or at some point you realize that you want to merge both of that. And that's, I think, the integration. Mm. That I think is, is what I love the word, just like the integrated person, which is being self-aware of like what choices they're making that they, that they want to call into their life right now, but also um, honoring the, the rest and the recharge and the, and the, and the creativity time. Um, so those are, those are some of my thoughts uh, around that. Beautiful. I'm curious, like looking back on your entrepreneur journey, how might your life have been different if you had discovered psychedelics earlier on? I know it's kind of a hard question <laughs> to answer in retrospect, but um, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you thought about that? Yeah. So I discovered LSD my first trip around 24 years of age. I do sometimes ask myself what I what would have happened if I explored it at 16, mm. um, let's say eight years earlier. Um, I think just let's call it superficially uh, thinking right now. Um, I would say that um, probably my acceleration to self-confidence and self-awareness and self-love and self like just this strength and confidence and, and, and manhood and masculinity and all of that stuff would have probably emerged a lot sooner, a lot sooner. I see psychedelics as an acceleration tool. However, it has that, it has consequences with that mm -hmm. because on the, on a deeper end, if I took it at 16 and I wasn't actually ready, right. And whatever that means for anybody listening to this, I wasn't ready. Um, and I, I started exploring that. I could have easily also gone off the deep end and gone into a place of um, just kind of living in the ethereal, let's call it, mm -hmm. living in the ethereal, living in the cosmos. I love that I discovered it when I did because I was so grounded, like with the business grind, right? With the business hustle, the startup. I was in San Francisco, the heart of Silicon Valley, the tech, like the tech boom into 2000, uh, the late 2000s. And, um, and that was super exciting, but I think it gave me so much foundational grounding, um, in how I see life that when then I was able to explore psychedelics in the ethereals and in the cosmos and in the journeys where we go into just different alternate realities, like I could still ground myself and bring myself back into this reality. And now uh, take on the responsibility of integrating some of the lessons or some of the, the messages and the learnings I'm understanding in these journeys and trips. And so, yeah, I would say on, on a surface level, it would have accelerated um, a lot of it. And at the same time, looking at the other side of the spectrum, it was perfect how it, uh, it landed in my lap um, at the right time because I was grounded enough from my own perspective uh, to, to approach these medicines and psychedelics. Yeah. That makes lots of sense. And when you when you mentioned that you're grounded enough, does that also include the fact that you had integration tools available? Was that something that you had at the time, or no, does, that even, does that come later? That came later. So what I mean by grounded was just like there was a drive 
there was a type A drive in the business world applied in the spiritual psychedelic space too. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. it's like, okay, how many LSD trips can I go on so then I can learn this much so then I can be this kind of a better person. So that totally was, was I got up in that in the beginning. Um, but I think the beauty of that was that it, it, it shaped into an understanding of uh, uh, intentional, responsible use of psychedelics. Like what I started to understand really was that Every time I, I explore these psychedelics, it is an opportunity to be humble and to be learning. And so because I had that type A mentality in the beginning of my psychedelic journeys, it led me to a different understanding of, of being able to approach these um, psychedelics and medicines from a responsible place of usage, from a, from a humbling place of learning. Mm. Thank you. So transitioning now a little bit into some of the current projects that you're working on i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your experience working with one heart sure so quick backstory um in my second ayahuasca ceremony actually i was ready to sell my my last company and i didn't know how to let it go i was still so attached to it because my identity was so wrapped up in that and, and that was then tied to a lot of self-worth that i wasn't really connecting the dots to at that time and so in my second ceremony, I asked, you know, what is my greater purpose of service on this planet? And, um, and how can I, can I make that start to happen? And for the first time in my life, even though I grew up in the church, I saw a vision. I saw a vision that came up of me walking on, on, on mount, mountainous lands with tall yellow wheatgrass with an ocean in the background. And um, when asked, uh, um, what am I doing here? Um, what I heard back and what medicine kind of what I heard from the medicine was just that you're going to take everything that you've learned in the in the misaligned business that you were in and you're going to now apply it to a physical campus space keyword was a campus I remember very mm. clearly of alternative healing and where you're going to you're going to bring and you're going to invite different modality facilitators um, into this space to share their craft that let's say traditional western uh, medicine and science has not been able to figure out or has been unable to be supportive for others and so this included plant medicines of course um, and so that kind of was so humbling because I thought I was going to start going back into technology after I sold my last business. And uh, this was, in, this was in, in layman terms, a real estate, hospitality, like just a whole different industry. So I was just like, what the heck? Like, what is this? Anyways, I, part of my integration was to just talk about it and share about it with people. And as I shared with friends, I shared it with a person who introduced me to ayahuasca actually. And he then introduced me to the co-founders of One Heart. And so I had my first conversation with the co-founders of One Heart six, two weeks before I, I signed the papers to sell my company. They invited me to, they, they told me about One Heart and they invited me to one of their, their retreat journeys. And soon after I fell in love with it. And here I am three, four years afterward, three years afterwards, um, devoting my life to it. So then what is One Heart? So One Heart is what we call a, a human accelerator an eight week human accelerator where um, we fuse, think about fusing different modalities, including ayahuasca ceremonies, breath work, sweat lodges, your yoga and meditation, and different workshops that are all catered to, um, let's call it the heart led leaders that we, we term it, but also in terms of the creators of our world, the entrepreneurs, the CEOs, the executives, the, the people who have, feel the responsibility to create something in this world. And all we're doing is using all these modalities to help them tweak the direction of their lives to something that is in full alignment to their hearts, in full integrity to what it is that they want to be creating in this world. I think in other terms, 
myself was a story of this, which I guess why I'm so resonant with One Heart, was I understood what misalignment felt like, but I felt like I had things to prove. So when we can shed those stories by not putting our lives into something that just was so miserable for us, through these modalities and through these medicines and ceremonies, um, maybe we can awaken that courage, that confidence to go walk, to change everything that's in misalignment, to, to walk towards something that is in full alignment and integrity to, to what it is that our soul is calling for or what we were meant to be doing on this earth, which only each individual would know. So that is what we are. And I guess, um, you know, my, my role is, uh, is everything from janitorial services after ceremony, cleaning up the purge in ceremonies to um, you know, kind of managing and running and, and overseeing all operations for um, these, these retreats, these, these journeys. Uh, like I mentioned, we have eight weeks of experience. Two weeks of that is the preparation where we really support you in readings, journaling prompts, one-on-ones, um, and just support in, um, in that two-week period. Then we have a one week in Costa Rica, which is where I'm living now, um, where we fuse all these different modalities into that experience and then a five-week integration period. So I kind of oversee that whole eight-week container experience. And um, all I can say, looking back and kind of speaking on what we were just talking about earlier, was I finally understand and feel what alignment um, is, it feels like. And, 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 and I think a, a, a result of that is just such deep fulfillment uh, that I get to uh, feel and receive every day from the people that we get to serve and support. Brilliant. I have a question for you on the process there, but just a couple of logistical things. I'm curious, um, the, the container that you're creating, you mentioned eight weeks and you got the one week in person. Um, would you mind just like contextualizing the the preparation and the integration portions too, in terms of just like giving people an idea of what that looks like and, and how do you achieve that continuation? Because I assume people are doing the integration and the preparation at their own homes or virtually, right? Or do you bring them uh, together in some ways? Can you just let us know, like, how do you, how do you maintain that continue continuum? Yeah. So the, the virtual container preparation and integration of virtual, um, you know, what, what I would say the main focus during that seven weeks um, is just the, we our, our our role and responsibility is to um, uh, gift and and and, and exude um, unconditional love and support um, during that period. And so, in the two weeks of preparation, you know, we give recommendations of books and articles and videos to watch, um, journaling prompts to 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 reflect on. Uh, we set you up with an alumni who is also joining back as a person who wants to be giving their time because their lives were so shifted to support the next batch of cohort. And you'll have your one-on-ones with them. You'll have group calls. You're set in groups so that you can start to build a mini community of people who speak a similar language of business and, and, and hustle and grind in the startup in the corporate world, but also spiritually curious, conscious curious uh, people that want to step on this path by taking the, taking the, the, the journey to, to sit with this medicine uh, specifically ayahuasca and these ceremonies. And then the integration, uh, we have a couple of things. Number one is we have uh, daily um, nature practices. So we, we believe that nature, or well, I believe nature is a, another form of God that we get to interact with. It's so pure. It's so, it's so you know, just, just there for us to, to bask in. So we, we offer na- daily nature practices, um, including sun gazing or earthing or hugging the tree or, or laying in the ocean or a pool of water, just like, and, and have reflection prompts to really uh, 
expand our own self-awareness of, of what is right and, and, and what is our path. Uh, beyond that, we have a, a couple modules that we share. Uh, these things examine a lot of um, uh, sort of what our uh, best life could look like. So one of the core things we offer and ask and, and support is writing a 10-year uh, vision journal prompt as if you were 10 years older than yourself, sharing language that XYZ has already come to be in, in their lives. And that is the central core piece of a lot of our integration so that that becomes a North Star, that becomes a direction for us to, to walk towards every day. Um, and there's, there's, there's um, uh, exercises that we do that really start to shift the perspective of, well, this is in the future to actually time is just an illusion. So this is happening right now for you just in a different maybe reality. And we're just, get, we're just getting closer to it, right? So it just changes the paradigm of how we, how we perceive um, intentions that we call it versus goals. Um, so that's just a quick overview of, of some of the, the prep and integration that we have. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That uh, gives a lot of clarity. Um, so I'm curious now about the process. You mentioned the type of people that you work with specifically at One Heart, leaders, entrepreneurs, change makers, visionaries. I'm curious, what would you say is different about preparing the container to journey with these sort of people as opposed to other groups of people? So there's two, two perspectives uh, that I see in the psychedelic space right now. There's the curing of the sick and bettering of the well. Mm -hmm. The curing of the sick uh, is what we see a lot in the Western societies today with the clinics, psychedelic therapies, studies happening, which is studying um, you know, how MDMA can support PTSD or mushrooms can help with depression. And that's what we're, we're seeing a lot. And I think there's absolute merit in that as well. On the other side, there's the bettering of the well, which are sort of these people who let's call it, don't have the chronic conditions that we're seeing in the curing of the sick, but more kind of like um, ethereal questions like fulfillment and purpose and, 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 you know, what is it that I get to do in my life that is, is in highest service for, for the greater good? Questions like that. And don't get me wrong, that is a privilege to be asking mm -hmm. um, when working with these medicines. And all I'm saying is giving some understanding that that's the, that's the cohort that we're working with, right? right? That's the types of people one heart is working with the bettering of the well, which is um, almost kind of like seeing that these leaders, these creators, these change makers, these people who have are inherently just like builders. Yeah. They, they, mm -hmm. they contribute so much beautiful creations in this world. Um, how can we help them um, awaken to their hearts? How can we help awaken them to something that is greater than proving something to someone or their, or satiating their ego with their creations. How can we, how can we support that? Because I believe, and we believe that when we can start to awaken these leaders into something that is in full alignment, full integrity to their hearts for their greater calling, there's so much magic and beauty that they start to create in this world that creates that ripple effect. So much so that I believe that, um, one of my intentions is to be able to work with these medicines with politicians. I think the first step is to work with the business leaders of this world because there is deep mutual respect from the politicians and the business people. Right. When we can work with these business people, which we are right now, to uh, show a shift, show uh, how we approach business and, and how they lead their companies, I think that can bleed into the politicians. And then you start to ask the question, what happens when politicians start to work with medicine in a very safe, intentional setting? And I think, wow, just paradigms can be and will be shifted at that time. But anyways, um, so those, those are the types of people we, we work with. And I think that is a privilege for sure. And I think there is a deep responsibility there because I think 
that when you can help with that process of their awakening through these modalities, especially with plant medicine, I think um, that ripple effect will be felt by their creations or how they show up in their companies that then kind of create that ripple effect, et cetera, et cetera. So that I would say that's one of the big difference or, you know, differences or unique factors around One Heart is that community of, I call it grounded, like executioners as business people, but also spiritually curious or conscious curious explorers. Um, and so I think that merge, that, that, that intersection is so fascinating because um, I think that's where I think this, this, this current um, paradigm, this current way of our business operating can start to uh, be shifting. Thank you for that. I have a couple last questions here for you kind of around ceremony before we're getting into some of the work sure. that you do with third wave. Um, and I was just curious, I, the question came up for me while you were sharing, um, based on your experience so far with third wave and your experience in ceremony, what do you think is one of the most important qualities in a guide? Mm. Wow. Um, in a guide, the first few words that come up is what I've been using, which is deep reverence mm. for whatever medicine this guide may be working with. Reverence, and I'll dive a little bit into that afterwards. Thanks. Um, humility is another word I think a lot about. And then the last one I think a lot about is unconditional love. Um, so reverence, when I think of reverence, I think of um, we, are, we are a guide or we are a supporter because this medicine not only has completely altered our lives for the better, and we just kind of feel indebted and owed and, and, and responsible for passing on this work, but just a deep respect for the potency of this medicine, uh, almost kind of like seeing it as your elder, maybe your grandmother or grandfather that you admire and respect a lot, and 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 you you respect your 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 grandparents is the same kind of, if not more, feeling of respect for for this medicine. And I think that bleeds into humility. Humility being that like this perspective that we are just a, a physical human vessel to translate this work from a plant or a fungi that can't talk through our vessel so that we can be an ambassador for uh, these medicines. And so that is the humility I, 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 I perceive, which is we are just a physical vessel. Um, and so what that, what that means also, it just, it, it, it diminishes the opportunity for ego to come in of, I am a powerful X, Y, Z healer, shaman, et cetera, et cetera. And nothing against people who label themselves as that. I'm just saying there's, there's, it, there's a shadow side to that, which could be power. And so I think humility and, 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 and centering with humility is an opportunity to diminish uh, the shadow of power um, emerging. And um, the last one is unconditional love, um, the keyword unconditional. I think a lot of us are, are very used to conditional love. I give you this to expect you give me this and don't get me wrong, I still subconsciously practice that sometimes and I, and I catch myself a lot. Um, but unconditional love, or another way of putting it um, that I've inked to my, my arm, uh, seva is, means selfless service in Sanskrit. And so keyword selfless or keyword unconditional. It just means that, again, kind of going back to that humility, we are just a vessel to support this work as for the plant or the fungi that we are, uh, or you know, whatever other medicines you are supporting. Um, and so when we, when we combine those three, I think not only does purity get exuded so that people can feel that trust and then fully can surrender because that the depth of our transformation and experience comes is directly correlated to the depth of surrender 
that we can put into these uh, ceremonies or, or therapeutic sessions. So that purity, combining these three creates that purity that allows, uh, the, I believe, the guests or the people to, to really drop into that trust, to really drop into that act of, of surrender. Thank you so much for that. Those are beautiful. Of course, the, the one I didn't include, but I, I would perhaps uh, assume everybody understands the last question of the, the qualities mm-hmm. is obviously training. Right. Training, number one. Like I think, I think it's so easy for people to bypass training and, and skip training because they feel that they got called from the medicine or, or you know, someone said you're amazing and so they just follow that. But I think no one should have the excuse to bypass training to then be a guide or a person who's facilitating ceremony, et cetera, et cetera. And usually when we do that through the training, there is a person who we respect that has walked this path more than us to give us the permission to be a guide, to be a person that's guiding these experiences. I think with that, there comes beautiful um, understanding that, uh, uh, again, the, e- the ego and the power is not slipped into that because we ha- we receive the permission from someone who's walked this path uh, to to be able to support others in this experience. Um, the last question around guiding and ceremony, just based on something that you brought up earlier here. I was curious, you mentioned activating your own voice, and I'm curious to ask, why are you learning to sing and what does that mean for you right now? So I've been working with medicine for about the past four years and started to support uh, more and more ceremonies, um, just kind of helping people to the bathroom, cleaning up buckets, and then really started to be inspired by um, the music and the vibrations that are happening both through an instrument and through vocal uh, voice. And so nowadays, for the last two years, I've been practicing and taking lessons and understanding uh, the guitar more to to really um, uh, share songs that way. And recently, I've been taking vocal classes to really elevate and expand my voice um, spectrum to be able to really gift and impart wisdom from songs that I've learned to to these circles. And there's a quote that I that I recently heard from a CEO of a, of, a, of a psychedelic company that's specifically focusing on music for psychedelic therapy. He's like, you know, they say, you know, psychedelic experiences can't be guided. They just kind of take you where you want to go. And, and, and in some aspect that is true. And I also agree with what he said next, which was, and music is, is one of the primary guides for, um, for a psychedelic experience or ceremony. And I've seen this over and over in just my own personal experience but just how vibrations, songs, um, uh, tunes from instruments um, can definitely take a person from one memory to the next and have them stay in there, good or challenging, uh, to be able to like receive a very potent message, right? And so I see how powerful music can be for that or sounds and vibrations can be for that, that I see it as like a deep responsibility to not only like level up, my own skills with the instruments, but also my voice so that it may perhaps um, really open up something for someone in the near future that I sit with and share this music with. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing a bit more about that. I'm really excited for you to be on that journey. That's (laughs) super exciting. So uh, shifting gears now a little bit away from one heart and from perhaps ceremony, um, I'm curious if you could tell the audience about your experience with Third Wave and maybe get into the yeah the purpose of Third Wave and yeah just tell us about that organization. Yeah, so 
I met the founder, Paul Austin, through One Heart, actually. He sat in ceremony with us and um, just had such a beautiful brotherhood bond after that. And that, that is, I think, a, a beautiful effect of these ceremonies and these medicines that, you know, amazing relationships get to be formed because both people or multiple people are just in their depth of vulnerability and their deepest shadows and purging, but still being there right next to them, supporting them. Like that's a special, special moment and bond to, to be cultivated. So I met him about four years ago. And um, when I saw what he was doing, um, I was, I was realizing how important um, what he had created could be for this space. So the company's called Third Wave. And the name behind Third Wave means that this is the third wave of psychedelics. And what that means is the first wave was in sort of think about the shamanic times, maybe in South America, maybe in Serbia, all these shamans that were practicing um, ceremonies a uh, long, long time ago in indigenous villages and tribes, et cetera, et cetera. Then the second wave was in the 50s and 60s that we hear a lot about um, with, with, the, uh, with the acid and the mushrooms and everything just booming and getting shut down. And then now this is a third wave re-emerging. But the biggest difference is that there's a lot of focus and leading with therapeutic um, support and, and, and studies around the benefits and or the intentional use and the responsible use of, of, of these medicines and psychedelics. So right then and there, when I understood what that meant, the, 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 the name third wave, it was just this understanding that there's a responsibility all of us have in this third wave reemergence, right? Which is practicing it with intentionality, practicing these psychedelics with reverence, practicing these psychedelics with safety. Um, and, and ideally to be able to show how amazing uh, effects and therapeutic uh, effects uh, may emerge from these experiences. So, you know, the way I see third wave is they have a megaphone. And what I mean by that is they started uh, the third wave in 2015 and it's been, it's been evolved into a large community of curious, avid psychonauts. And so what third wave provides is a lot of education courses um, around microdosing, guides around the different medicines and what to look out for. It just become, has become such a trusted information source to, um, to really absorb in our own transformational journey with psychedelics. And so what I see third wave is, is it's a big megaphone. And the megaphone has a lot of responsibility because whatever you say will be reached out to many different people. So you got to be really careful. And, and, yeah. and, and, and if anything, it has a level of responsibility of sort of what a, a, a way to, to, to operate the business and keep, keep this movement going looks like as well. So that's why I, I actually was an early angel investor in third wave to just uh, really support them in that. And then um, was, has been, have been an advisor with, with Paul to just kind of guide him through what I've learned in my own business um, earlier on. And then lastly, recently helped them build out a directory um, with my team where uh, we, we publish uh, publicly um, uh, psychedelic experiences that are legal in certain countries and states and, and other international countries uh, to be able to embark on your own experience and just really giving that power of trusted information and choice uh, back to the people, uh, back to the hands of the people uh, in their own in their own time, right? So if someone feels called to experience ketamine, they can see that and find that. Um, and again, all these people are our providers are vetted through our, through our system and through our team. And so just a very trusted source to, to go examine um, 
what you want to be embarking on from a ketamine therapy to an ayahuasca ceremony in Costa Rica or Peru to, um, you know, 5-AMEO-DMT in Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. Like these are places that we uh, make sure that um, these are these are quality facilitators as well as um, uh, legal in, in their own uh, places of operation to, to embark on uh, your own experience. Thank you. Thanks for summarizing that. That's great. So I was curious, like the work that you've been doing with Third Wave is obviously slightly different than One Heart. Probably they mm-hmm. share a lot of the same vision, um, vision in yeah. terms of giving access to psychedelics and and having more people experience the the wisdom gained from those experiences. But the the way they're going about it is slightly different. I'm curious, would you be able to share at all, maybe a past challenge or even maybe one of the current challenges that uh, the Third Wave is facing or that you've personally been working with the, with the, the Third Wave and then how you are working through that or how you did work through that? Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is what we see a lot, and Third Wave is no um, exception to that. It's, you know, when you when you have a lot of eyes on you, there are very different opinions of how to approach something. And, and, and being in the psychedelic space where there is no rule book, there is no pathway created, everything is being created as we speak, it gets very challenging to... Um, receive and understand what people where people are coming from, and also having the courage to um, take a step of consideration of what others are sharing, but also what is in true alignment for for oneself. And I think that's a lot what psychedelics try to teach us, right? It's it's really being able to tune into our own intuition, our hearts, and be able to restore that confidence in ourselves to to live our best lives. And that could be so different for so many people and their own perspectives. So I'd say one of the most challenging things within third wave is just there's so many differing opinions of how so-and-so should be acting or, you know, so-and-so company should be acting this or that. And um, at the same time, I do believe that that kind of conversation and maybe slight pressure is beautiful moments to self-reflect and self-inquire um, and, and, and not to ignore that. And that's what I part of my, my role is to kind of just see from the outsider perspective and, and give insights um, to the inside uh, folks to, to be, able, be able to really sit down and consider um, uh, repercussions or, or consequences and plus possible huge rewards and benefits for the greater space. And so there's a lot of moral questions that come up of like, how do we approach XYZ question or like, you know, just where, how does capitalism uh, play, play and balance with, with psychedelics? It's just, there is no rule book right now. And all we can look at is our own intuition hearts, maybe sitting with the medicine for guidance um, and also looking at, um, you know, wisdom from indigenous people. Um, but that, that, that I'd say is, is one of the biggest challenges uh, still. And I'm, see, I'm sure with many other um, companies in the, in the psychedelic space as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then what about some of the new exciting projects that the third wave is working on? Would you be able to share a little bit about maybe what your primary focus is lately with the third wave? Sure. So the two things, uh, one is obviously the directory that I mentioned will be continually bringing on new folks um, in terms of providers and locations that people can can feel uh, that trusted vetting um, uh, perspective for, for their own psychedelic experiences. And then recently, Third Wave also um, launched uh, what they call their coaching certification program. And so what that means is that 
there's obviously the clinical outcome of psychedelic experiences, which is you know, treating the depression, PTSD, et cetera, et cetera, the curing of the sick that I mentioned earlier. But there's also that bettering of the well that One Heart is operating in. And I would say Third Wave's coaching certification program is also. And so what that means is it's a lot of the non-clinical outcomes uh, that they're now sharing all that Paul and Third Wave has learned of best practices for psychedelic experiences yeah, to impart into coaches. And these coaches could be life coaches, executive coaches, marriage coaches, relationship coaches, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's so many vast of coaches, yeah? But all of these coaches are starting to hear and understand that psychedelics is a tool to accelerate some aspect of self-awareness, some, some aspect of expansion and understanding. And so what if they could integrate that um, psychedelic guidance, um, coaching into, into their offering, right? So could you imagine, um, and, and this is what we're seeing already, like imagine a couples coach and start to learn how to um, support people after they've gone through an MDMA experience as a couple and, and, and fuse their coaching with, with, with that. I think that's, I think it's happening and it's super beautiful to then think about the boardroom with executive coaches integrating a mushroom ex, uh microdosing and or a mushroom psilocybin experience ceremony for executive teams, right? Or an executive and ideally executive teams that they can sit together. I just did one uh, last week with an executive team. And I can tell you, it's so beautiful to see when they start to shed their own egoic differences and perspectives and really unite as one uh, team to, to drive towards their mission. And this is what I've been talking a lot about with One Heart that we, we try to do, albeit they're, they're individuals, uh, leaders themselves. But you can imagine an executive coach who's coaching maybe a team offering some microdosing experiences and or a, a macro psilocybin ceremony experience for an executive boardroom. Wow, I think some beautiful shifts start to happen there. So third wave essentially is trying to create a ripple effect by training up existing coaches in their practices to add a psychedelic component to that. Psychedelic component doesn't just mean, oh, because it's the hot thing to do. No, because we they really see and understand from their own perspectives and their own experiences that when they can add um, a psychedelic experience responsibly, safely, going through training to be able to um, uh, feel uh, you know, qualified to be able to give that kind of experience for someone. Um, I think that will start to spread this work even more. And not only this work, but the healing when you integrate with the coaches of what they're already doing. And again, I think a lot of this is that bettering of the well. So we start to see people who are creators heal through some traumatic shit that they've gone through to then really show up in deeper service. Right? And I think coaches, these coaches are one avenue of many that are being created all around the world today um, in this movement uh, that's contributing to that. Thank you. Um, a question that came up for me while you were sharing that was around qualification and certification. And yeah, it's maybe it's a tough question, so feel free, let me know if you want to um, get into it. But I'm curious, what, like everyone has a different perspective on what qualifies someone, you know, to be a yeah. guide or to be a practitioner. And then, you know, even when you're just mentioning about the coaches, like a belief that I've kind of had just from looking at the coaching realm is like, I feel like anyone and their anyone dog can be a coach, you know, like, yeah. and I'm just curious, like one question that came up was like, well, how do you guys vet coaches? But then I guess more of a, the question that then came up after that for me was like, well, what, how, how does, what does third wave consider it um, as someone being qualified? Like what does 
the third wave considered to be a good qualification for someone? Like, at what point do you decide, okay, well, this person is ready? And I know you were, you were speaking yourself to the fact that that's a very hard question to answer. And that's exactly, you know, one of those moral things in the space where we don't really have a rule book. People are defining that um, themselves. And I'm just wondering, are you able to speak a little bit to maybe how third wave defines that and maybe how one heart defines it or how you define that? Yeah. Um, so I'll speak on behalf of one heart first. So okay. I think about um, the leaders who we work with to be able to, well, they're not necessarily administering, but I think in regards to just, um, you know, when, when, when I think about leaders, these are people who clearly have a pure perspective of how they want to um, serve the world. And you can hear it from them. We, we interview everybody one-on-one. You can hear it from them and they're just stuck, you know? And so, um, you know, these medicines are an opportunity for to unstuck that and give them that opportunity to, to, to see something different, right? So that being said, you know, that's not necessarily so moral because these are just guests who are not necessarily administering. Look, I think at the end of the day, um, if I, uh, once I look at people who actually, there's been people after one heart that have, started their own retreats um, and maybe some even starting to serve medicine themselves. I think without, God, I think this, this whole um, industry has so much quote things to define through. I think mm. the more scalable solution right now is to educate the, the consumers and the guests and the people who are experiencing psychedelics for the first time or earlier on in their journey, the questions of, what they should be asking so that they themselves can discern if this is a right fit or not. Because again, I think psychedelics are here to teach us that like we get to really listen inwards as well. Right. And we close off a lot of that by listening to only the expert advice when I think there's a lot of merit in that, but I think there's also a balance in listening to ourselves. So I think the, the, the your question is really just at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if I say, you know, third wave um, vets or coaches a certain way, because that may not be enough for certain, another person who is in a different phase of their life. Right. So I think the way I would scale this solution to, 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 to the vast is educating people of what questions to ask. So like, Hey, like, what are your credentials? Like what training have you gone through? Can you tell me a little bit about your training? Can you tell me what you're, what you've learned through this training? That's so applicable for your life. Can you tell me the most traumatic event in your life that these medicines have supported you in? So I can understand that. It's these questions that we start to ask that I think um, will empower uh, the person to, to, to choose a certain guy that they fully resonate with. Because I can tell you, um, you know, the, the, the people in the indigenous world uh, who've been practicing this medicine for years and years never had a certification, never had a graduate diploma. They don't, they don't do any of that stuff. What they do though, is a lot of training and, um, and, uh, and permission from their teacher, their mentor, their person who taught them, uh, permission to, to be able to do this work afterwards. And I think that's just a, such an interesting perspective because it, it allows the purity of, of, of someone taking on this work to be, to be felt versus I got, I woke up one day, I felt called to, to serve psilocybin. So I'm just going to go do that because I got a dream that, that I'm supposed to, to serve med, uh, mushrooms. 
But the two things I always go through is training. Like what training have you gone through? Who did you learn from? And did they give you permission? Have they given you permission to serve medicine? Um, and, and, and from then on, it's up to the, it's up to the person to, who's, who's going to experience this. If they feel in resonance, if they feel trusting, if they feel that they can feel safe with you. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's about a lot of it is about safety. So um, various questions uh, from different people will emerge. Uh, but ultimately, I think a lot of them is seeking that safety. And so I think training, permission, um, you know, what, what have you gone through that uh, this medicine has supported you with and, and, and resonating with that personal story. I think all of those, and if not more, uh, will allow a person to feel that full safety to then choose what guide. I think at the end of the day, this world will have many, many guides, many coaches, many therapists in this world, many shamans, many, many facilitators in this world. And one, I think that's beautiful because that's how this medicine expands uh, exponentially. Will there be some unfortunate, not so great stories of people abusing it? Absolutely. That's just one of the challenges and shadows of scaling so quickly. Um, and at the same time, with so many that, that blossom, that spread this work, which I think is beautiful, within time, there will be those who you will see people just talk about or people go back to quite often. And those people will be thriving in their practice because did they go through the training? Yes. Did they go through the permission from their teachers? Yes. Did they, did they, are they approaching with reverence and humility? Yes. Because I think that those qualities and more is, is what allows someone to wake up every morning to be so devoted to this work, because there's something greater beyond their own minds uh, that they're serving um, this, this experience for. Thank you, Tim, so much. Thanks for getting into that and, and sharing your perspective on that. Yeah. Really appreciate it. So shifting gears again now, I was curious if we could get into a little bit of houseware. So <laughs> I'm yeah, really curious if you'd be able to tell the audience from your perspective, um, what is houseware and what does houseware mean to you? Yeah. So just to catch up a little a bit of people who don't know, um, you know, Michael, Susan, of psychedelic uh, Flying Sage are part of Houseware. I'm sort of the third silent partner, um, but just kind of helping create as much as I can with it. Um, and it's a clothing line, uh, medicine-inspired clothing line that draws from the wisdom of these sacred plant medicine ceremonies and tries to really just integrate that into the world. And so, you know, I've gone through maybe close to 100 ceremonies now wow, there's a lot of wisdom that is extracted from that. And there are some that just speak to me so beautifully that if I can remember that and hold that perspective throughout my day, man, life just feels so much more fulfilling. And so that is the feeling I want to give to people through Houseware. And so Houseware right now, as it stands, um, is recently launched six designs that have different wisdom and different designs, custom designed by, by artists uh, that are meant to remind people that there is magic in our everyday lives. It's just a choice to stay still, receive and listen to that magic. And so for this shirt I'm wearing right now, maybe you guys can't see, but the one I'm wearing right now is one of my favorites called Suspend Logic and Invite Magic. And I'm like, wow, there are days when I'm so stressed, I'm so caught up in my mind that what if I just take one moment, go outside in nature and just tell myself, suspend this logic and invite magic. 
what happens next? And, I, and for me, sometimes I close my eyes and I just start to hear the birds chirp as a communication for me, or they're just singing for me. The sun beaming on my face, wow, how much beautiful life force that's giving. That is magic, right? And so we can start to um, live in that magical perspective. I think life gets so much more fulfilling. So this is just a, a, a kind of call it a, a side, side hustle, side beautiful project of mine. And I'm immensely grateful for you, Michael and Susan, for for leading the operations with that. But um, you know, the 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 biggest intention and the 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 my my prayer for for this clothing line is just to spread wisdom from the plants, from Mother Earth, into our human everyday life to remind us that like slow down, like it, welcome the magic and the miracles that are in our everyday lives. And um, what happens if you and so many more around us start to live just in that perspective, just in that perspective. Um, and I think just a lot more joy, a lot more fun, a lot more magic, and just beautiful memories start to be cultivated um, in our everyday lives. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, I just want to say it's been an honor to work with you on this project. Super exciting. I'm, I'm super excited about the launch of it. And I was wondering, you mentioned the Suspend Logic Invite Magic shirt and when we do post the video, people will see. But for those that are just listening, I'm curious, could you share a little bit about where that saying came from? Because that was a particular saying that you have a story around. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, so one of our, one of my other teachers um, in, in, in post, I think post-ceremony, in our, one of our integration sessions, just poses the line like, what if you suspend logic and invite magic? And it stuck with me. And so after, every, after that retreat, I've been sharing it with every other retreat and with over 400 people that have gone through the experience in one heart, of course, that starts to spread, right? And so it's been really fascinating because one of the p- person who I shared this with uh, was in, in um, uh, a ceremony with a celebrity and I'm gonna keep his, his, his or her name out of this for, for, for privacy reasons. And before the ceremony, uh, just shared, hey, you should, uh, you should really consider just in, in suspending logic and inviting magic because this Amos, and this is an A-list celebrity, by the way, uh, is so in his or her head that, um, that my friend who I've shared this line with just kind of uh, shares that. And he's, he or she was like, wow, I really, I really love this line. And so much so, that when he or she won an, a, a very popular music award, um, you know, publicly broadcasted on live TV, uh, the first thing he or she said was suspend logic and invite magic. And I'm most likely for sure confident that no one knows that they've been to medicine experience, but I think it's so beautiful that we can receive that wisdom from these plants through our teachers and pass this on to then be integrated into the default world. Yeah, through, through, through the, 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 the society that, that it just feels so impossible to break through with, with these profound messages. So I just thought that was so beautiful to, to see how that led one thing to another. Then it got casted out uh, through a major television network broadcasting that award show, you know? So I just thought that was so, so magical uh, to see. And again, just another, another um, example of the magic. Absolutely. I look forward to the day when um, musicians or performers will get up on stage and just flat out say, 
So I just got back from this crazy ayahuasca journey. And you wouldn't I'm believe sure that will happen. I'm sure that would happen. And if anything, there's going to be probably sooner or later a what number one billboard song that was channeled through right. an artist in ceremony, right? Like they came up with the lyrics and ceremony and the tune, and then maybe they even perform it while on on in an actual <laughs> state. I can totally see that happening one day. Uh, I was wondering if you, could you speak a little bit to some of the other inspiration around houseware too. I was really curious. Like some people might even be curious what house even means. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about house with us. And then also one of our other designs is a hoe. And I was curious if you could um, share what that means as well. I know there's there's similar terms, but um, sharing a little bit about your experience with those two terms and how they came across your radar would be really appreciated. Yeah. So again, everything I've received that's been inspired for this line has come through ceremony work. And so, you know, for Haush and Aho, uh, firstly, Haush is kind of like a sound um, that, you know, these circles will, will, will share and make when they agree with something where it's kind of like a hell yes or a hallelujah or an amen or a, I see you, like I got you, I totally understand you. So usually maybe in integration circles, um, when someone shares something really profound, something really deep, um, in these circles, they'll say, "Hush, hush!" like, yes, like, amen to that kind of thing. And uh, on the other side, a ho is, um, is, is, uh, is used in many different uh, traditions and lineages. Um, but what I've come to understand is it's kind of uh, a word that's like acknowledgement that uh, I see you or I, I, I understand you. Um, similarly, uh, when someone shares in a circle, uh, that's something that's super resonant. They will say aho, and that's kind of like an acknowledgement. Like, I totally understand that. I get that. I totally agree with that, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I kind of called it houseware just because it has a cool ring to it, first and foremost, on a superficial level. But secondly, again, just a, a simple way to acknowledge um, like these wisdom from plants, uh, wisdom from the indigenous tribes that worked with these plants and have safeguarded these plants for so long. So again, again, just a kind of little homage, hat tip uh, to to that kind of uh, to that kind of uh, work and culture um, that I wanted to make sure that people could start to uh, just be exposed to, and I just think that that would be wonderful for them to understand that more. Beautiful, and this is something that you've been thinking about for a while, right? Like the idea of houseware, <laughs> or at least like a, a psychedelic clothing line, is something that's been brewing for a while. Yeah, so it's been fascinating. I've been brewing about this idea for almost a year and a half, and um, and it wasn't that I couldn't get this out. It's quite easy to get this out. Um, it was more so to find the right partners to get this out because my time is consumed by the other core businesses that I'm, that I'm supporting and running and, and co-founding. And so, um, again, finding Michael here and, and Susan to be the operating partners for Houseware and be a beautiful supplementary line to the Flying Sage and what you guys stood for, for psychedelic therapy with MAPS. Uh, with the psychedelic movement, I just thought how beautiful it would be to fuse a ceremonial element, sort of the underground ceremonies, that side of the world, um, because that in itself has so much wisdom that can be drawn in fusion with the Western psychedelic therapy wisdom that's being drawn right now. And just kind of balance that out uh, with this whole communication around um, how can we just approach these medicines, these psychedelics, with such reverence and humility so that it can keep supporting us, healing us, expanding and growing us um, into our best lives. So uh, yeah, I've been thinking about it for a couple of years and finally got it out and super excited 
to finally see this baby um, come to real life and uh, starting to see others wear it. Ultimately, what I'm most excited about is just hearing the stories uh, for those who decide to not only wear it, but also apply it into their lives um, and what kind of shifts they start to make and perspectives that they get to see in life and possibly inspire and create that ripple effect for others. I think it's the little things that that can, can do that. And this is just my small and humble contribution to that uh, movement. So as we approach the end of the conversation today, I just wanted to ask you first if there's any projects that we maybe haven't talked about today that you're really excited about and would maybe like to share, um, whether that's with Third Wave or with One Heart or with any other exciting projects that you might be working on? Yeah, I'd say that obviously my my heart and um, most of my time is in One Heart and we have an upcoming um, journey in August and in October. So if you guys feel called to work with Grandmother Ayahuasca Medicine with you know leaders and, 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 and creators of this world, um, feel free to take a look at that and, um, and, and let me know if you have any questions. And then obviously houseware is a near and dear to my heart. I'm wearing the, the, the clothing almost every day, um, not only to just rock it, but also just to be a remembering for myself. And again, that's just the intention. And so um, whether you decide to rock one and support the movement or not, I hope that at least you can take a look and, and, and consider um, integrating uh, those, those wisdom from these ceremonies uh, that I've been through and others have been through to, to integrate into your life. Cause I just think that that's like, ultimately the most important thing for me uh, with this project. So those are a couple of things uh, that I feel most excited uh, to share about. Beautiful. And then a couple of last questions for you. Um, I'm curious, do you have any advice for people looking to get the most out of their psychedelic experiences? And I'm thinking here yeah. more so for people that maybe don't have the full support to be able, let's say, to go to a retreat or something like that, like people who maybe are doing it with a friend or even by themselves, mm-hmm. um, people um, in those sorts of situations. Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one is um, <laughs> I always say you can always take more, but you can never take less or get it out of you. So um, number one is always just kind of like start small, start, start, start with a small amount or just less amount than you think you need. Uh, just ease your way into it. And even if that experience wasn't so grand with all the sacred geometries and crazy visions, guess what? There's tomorrow or the next week or the next month to do it again, right? So mm-hmm. I would always say just start starting smaller amounts will always be beneficial to ease yourself into that. Uh, secondly, uh, one of the practices that has changed the game for me, even when I consume cannabis, mushrooms, aya, or any other plant medicine is put a prayer in it. And I'll just caveat by saying prayer can be an intention that you just put in. It doesn't have to be anything religiously con- contextual. Um, and maybe it doesn't even have to be anything spiritually con- contextual. If it is beautiful, if not, you don't resonate with that, all good. Just put a prayer, whatever that means for you. What the act of that is doing is it's it's allowing yourself to step out of your mind and, and almost give permission to something outside of your mind to guide you, to guide you, right? And again, that could be angels that you work with or, you know, just a teddy bear that you admire and respect, whatever it is, like, like give permission to something outside of your mind to guide you in that psychedelic experience. And that has just been a total game changer because what that does is it starts to create a different experience and thus a different perspective and story around your experience. So instead of just being like, oh man, I went to do this in my journey or a trip, 
it's more like, oh, this medicine like took me from here to here. And oh, I can use that language because I put a prayer in it or I, I, I see it that way. Wow, now I'm being guided. Now I don't need to be so much in control of where I need to go next. Oh, this actually feels really amazing if I just kind of sit back and start to see what is unraveling before me. Again, thanks to the guidance of this medicine. And so it's almost kind of like strapping on the running joke where I always make is strapping on your buckle on a rocket ship and going into astral travels, right? Like just imagining that and just sitting back and just start to observe and uh, watch for that, I think starts to really happen when we put a prayer into our medicines. And again, I'll even do that every single time um, if I'm, whenever I'm smoking cannabis, right? So even just simple practices like that can make a huge, huge difference in how you uh, see your, your psychedelic uh, experience. And then lastly, um, I would say, do it with someone you feel absolutely comfortable with, like you trust them. Um, if you decide to do it with someone, um, and or uh, do it somewhere you feel absolutely safe in. So I will either, you know, do it, uh, take my psychedelic experiences in a, in a, you know, living room where it just feels really safe with cozy, comfy blankets and pillows and maybe tea next to me. Just set yourself up for that. Or in nature, but nature is somewhere very quiet, maybe not as secluded because whatever your limits are, um, but just somewhere comfy yeah somewhere you feel safe safety is one of the key things i would just um, kind of put in the in uh, bed in your mind there and so that means just kind of feeling good with the people that you're with and feeling great at the, the setting and the, the the environment that you're in as well those are three things that come up for me amazing those are all wonderful things to keep in mind thank you tim um before we wrap up is there any last word that you have or anything last message that you want to share with the listeners before we close today hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say that, uh, you know, consider, so right now what I'm working on, as you've been hearing, is obviously very multiple different projects in the psychedelic space. And sometimes I think I'm a little crazy for doing all that, but, <laughs> um, but, but I'll tell you this, like I keep going and I've never felt I'm about three years into this, into this whole world now of, of professionally. And I remembered um, in my startup days, this was the time right around year four that I started to feel burnt out. Um, and I, I remember that so clearly because it was such a new feeling of like, whoa, what's going on? Um, whereas now, even three years approaching four years, I, I'm like, I'm just getting started. And so I think the key message I'm trying to point across here is whether it's with psychedelics or not, um, that doesn't really matter to me and the message I want to share. What really what I want to share is like, are you courageous enough to look deep inside yourself and ask yourself the hard question of what is in true alignment to my path, my mission, and, and my purpose on this planet? And not to go into so much of the, the corny and cheesy, what's your purpose and are you following? But just like, what are you willing to devote your life to um, outside of your ego? I just, I pose that question. That's the question I've been using uh, for the last few years. And when we do ask that question um, and we have the courage to uh, face that and, and, and integrate that into our lives, the fulfillment that I live in now every day is 
it's it's un, it's very difficult to explain in words, and it's just it's such a such a it's such a heartwarming feeling, right? And just to give you some context, I I live in Costa Rica right now in a medicine center um, that uh, I got invited to to come in and, and support and live here, where it's right next to the beach, and like I didn't necessarily like grind my ass off for this. It was more so um, devoting myself to servicing people's transformation, albeit through plant medicine. And, um, you know, I'll end with this. If, if I were ever title an autobiography of my book, it would be titled Surrender to Service. And so what I mean by that is just like, what are you willing to surrender to service towards mm. um, on a path, on a mission, on a movement far greater than our own egos? Um, and can we devote that, uh, our lives to that? And when we do, like, man, opportunities start to emerge like crazy, both financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the, the final message I'll, I'll kind of leave you all with. Thank you so much, Tim. That's a beautiful message. Surrender to service. I think that potentially could be a houseware saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your experience and your wisdom with everyone here and all the listeners. It's been great to speak with you. And I really hope that we get the chance to do this again. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do consider leaving a review or sharing it with your friends. One really exciting announcement that I want to make while I have you here is that we're actually launching a Flying Sage membership, something that we've been working on pretty hard over the last few months here. And we're getting ready to launch it. But before we do that, we want to get a little bit of feedback from our community so we can kind of tweak things so it's the best, most appealing membership that you've ever come across. And so if you have a moment, we would really appreciate if you submitted some feedback through a form, which you can find in our community resources section of our website, or you can maybe find on Instagram too. But essentially, if you give us some feedback as someone who's been listening to the Flying Sage for a while now or following us, you'll actually be entered to win a piece of houseware, any piece of clothing of your choice. So go check out that form if you can and check out houseware, of course, that's on our website. It's a new collection. You can check out all the awesome designs that we have on there. And yeah, we really hope that you consider supporting us when we do release the new membership. I think it's going to be really beneficial to a lot of people, especially if you are based in the Vancouver area. If you'd like to stay tuned to future updates, make sure to sign up for our newsletter. You can find that on our website. We only send out emails if it's important. So don't worry, we won't be spamming your inbox. And finally, um, yeah, if you're in the Vancouver area, make sure to join our signal group. That can also be found on our website as well. So we're looking forward to having you tune into our next episode of the Flying Sage podcast. But until then, wishing you blessings and love.